Today, I have kind of a heavy topic, but I believe that it's very important that we talk about it from time to time. And we're going to look at sin today from different angles and for different reasons. And I'm going to try to also put it in some ways on a child level where children can understand it. Um, And I thought a lot about, you know, I don't really just enjoy talking about some of the the effects, which is really where my, my emphasis and focus is today, is not just sin, but the effects of sin. I don't really like getting into it necessarily because, well, we all have sin. And we all probably, whether we're the only ones that know of them or whether some even in the community might know of them, we all have past sins that we wish we could forget and undo and wish we'd have never done and wish we'd have never made those some people might call it mistakes but really it's sins and so it's not an enjoyable topic really but it is one of the most abundant topics in the Bible and if we don't ourselves come I mean it's like There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says it's better to go to the house of mourning, which is sadness, sorrow, and really it's talking about a funeral. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Because being there, even though we don't like to think about death, we don't like to think about the fact that we're all going to die. We don't like to think about the sadness of it. But being there and being reminded of it, when people leave funerals, they typically leave with a little bit, they're at least in a state of mind of a little bit more wisdom about them, a little bit more cautious with their decisions, a little bit more love, a little bit more of their, in their mind, they walk out of that funeral and they think, man, you know, I need to, I need to call my friend more often, or I need to do this more often. They won't always be with us. I need to tell my mother I love her more often, or whatever the case may be. And when we go to the house of mourning or when we do take the time to think about those things and on in all reality it makes us better people it's more fun perhaps to just come to church and have fun to just come to church and just focus on all of the positives but there's a place and a need to remember and think on and learn from and that's really what i hope mostly to talk about today is we've all got some sins in our past i you know in my mind, most of you guys are perfect, okay? But I can speak for myself. I have sins in my past that I wish I did not have. And I don't want to think about them and talk about them. I want to forget them. And I'm, it's not even necessarily wrong to forget them as long as you learn the fullness of the lesson that they're teaching you because sin has an effect, and that's what we're going to look at, the effects of sin. Sin has all sin, all types of sin, has an immediate effect It has a long-term effect. Then it has individual or personal effects within the soul of the person. But it also has radiant effects. So, in other words, if if I am living in sin, we'll say, because I'm not necessarily just talking about committing a single sin. However, we're going to get into that too. Even just a single sin, no matter how big or small, has all four of those things. If I sin... It has an immediate effect in me. And we, we do sin more often than we even realize. But the problem is we're kind of numb to that. 
And that's what sin does. It numbs you to where these habitual sins that you get used to, that you get comfortable with, and listen, don't think major things. They don't have to be major things. Uh, gossip can be a habitual sin. It's a major sin, really. Um, but anyway, we get used to them and we don't, we don't really feel the effects of them anymore. You know, when you think about the, the pure conscience of a three or four year old child, they are terrified to tell a lie in the beginning. Now they can get numb to it pretty quick and they can be really good at it by the time they're five. But in the beginning, their hearts are so pure and their conscience is so clean that the littlest things can just eat them alive and just weigh on them so heavily. And really, we want to preserve that. And in, in the innocence of children, Jesus actually teaches us, encourages us, but really commands us to pursue that back again, to have clean consciences, your hearts he says in malice be children and i think he would say that in a lot of things be children in understanding be men but in the things of sin and the, the the scar tissue that sin has left behind we want to do our best to not ever get comfortable and just accept well we're sinners you know we're born sinners and that's just how we are that's really not what the bible that's not the attitude that the bible teaches us to have so we're going to look at a couple of examples in the Bible that illustrate this. The immediate effect of sin within your own self, the long-term, the personal, and then how it affects other people. But my main emphasis today, at least for the adults, is the long-term effects of sin. <coughs> we all know and we all remember, hopefully, hopefully we're not so hard-hearted and so numbed to a life of sin that we've lived that we have forgotten what it was like to feel conviction of sin. I hope that we haven't forgotten that. In fact, I hope that you have felt that at least some point in the last two or three years. I know the younger ones do. There's, there's a, a whole lot of psychological reasons we could go into, but we're not. But there's a good reason why a lot of young men and young women, boys and girls, come to the Lord around the age of... 11, 12, up to 20, somewhere in there. Um, their hearts are still pure enough that they feel the smallest of pricks of God knocking at the heart. And their consciences are clean enough that they still are recognizing that there's things that they need to be freed from and all that kind of stuff. And so, anyway, there's an age thing there, which I bring that up because we're also going to talk about that. As people get older and older and older, speaking from experience here, we can definitely become hardened to things if we allow ourselves, and that's not right either. And so we want to look at it, but for the adults, my, my main emphasis I want us to think about and think about it for the purpose of learning from it, the long-term effects of sin. And also, when you step back and look at the long-term effects of sin, What's really starting to happen is you're starting to look at the world through spiritual eyes a little bit better. You're starting to rightly divide things and weigh things up a little bit better. And it, what it will develop in you is a healthy fear of sin. It will develop in you a, a, a healthy caution to, like, you know, Katrina and I have, have been through several personal things with me and her. 
And one thing we learned is sometimes the still small voice is all you get. That's the only warning you get. And the, the seeming cliff that you're about to fall off of may be tremendous. It may affect your life for years to come. What I'm saying is God don't put gigantic barriers in your way. He just says, don't do that. That's about all you get. And if you're not in tune, so to speak, with God's leading in your life and the Word of God and you go over those little bitty cautions, there's no telling how big the trouble that may be ahead of you. And so those long-term effects of sin are there to teach us, really. So let's look at them. Well, first, when I'm saying effects of sin, we need to think about it this way. It's the punishments of sin. That's what's really happening. It's the built-in, we're going to look at this, God built in to the order of creation a punishment for doing wrong, for breaking His law, for doing things against His will. These are, these are built-in kind of like pain in the human body. Pain is not the sin. In a lot of ways, pain is the punishment for the sin. But let's not even talk about sin. Let's just talk about a mistake where you are running through the house in the darkness and you kick that real hard with your shin and it hurts terribly, terribly bad. Pain is a built-in, built into the body, teacher. It's built in to teach us to not do that. So the, the sin, which is, like I said, this is not sin. I'm just using it as an illustration. The sin in this case would have been running through the house in, at, in darkness. That was the foolish thing you done. That was a mistake. That was something that you should have thought better. The punishment of that was the pain that happened when you hit it. And so these punishments in reality are graces of God. If there was no punishment in your life for any of the wrong things that you did, you would just continue on doing them. You wouldn't be corrected and you, would, you wouldn't learn from your mistakes. There has to be some punishments there. And with sin, there are built-in punishments. It's not like God is just waiting for you to sin when you do. He does this. No, it's, it's already built in. If you make some decisions in life, Raina and Phoenix and... Tamara, if y'all make certain decisions in life, you're going to be punished for it. And some of those punishments are very, very harsh and they last a long, long time. And so it's not just, you know, when we warn you guys about, hey, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go down that road. Sometimes even as parents, all we really give is a still small voice. But man, the decisions and the effects, the punishments that are built in for sinful decisions and sinful actions can be severe. I mean, hugely severe. And side note, really, I think parents, we need to learn from that. God is the greatest parent of all. He is the standard of parenting. And if we look at some of the punishments, and we're going to, that he put on his people because they broke his rules, they're severe, very, very severe punishments. And it saved his, the punishments of God at, time, at times as saved nations from total destruction. So those punishments may be severe, but they really are out of love. And like I said, as a side note, this is something Katrina and I have talked a lot about too. Our, all of our kids here do great. I think mine's some of the worst of the hoodlums that we got, you know, my own children. 
But the Bible does teach that if, when your children are young, so most of our children right now don't even understand sin. It's, I, I, no matter how low of a level I put it on, they're not going to get it. Most of them here. Raina will get it. Stormy will get it. Phoenix will get it. Kyle will get it. But younger than that, they probably won't get it. But what they do need to get from us is severe punishments for, for their wrongdoings. And I don't mean abusive at all. I'm not talking about that. But something that has a real pain to them, a threat, something that they fear. I was thinking, I think Trina was talking about the other day. You don't have to teach a kid not to touch an electric fence. It'll teach them. Because it'll zap them, and it'll do it every single time they touch it. It never lets them buy with it, and it doesn't just give them a little tingle. It doesn't just give them a little pat. It zaps them where it's like, ow, that hurt, and they will not do it again. And not only will they not do it again, but then when they see their other buddies get close to the fence, they're like, man, don't touch that. You got too close. It was about to zap you. They will begin to teach other people. And so there's a lesson there in the consistency and the severity of the consequences of doing something wrong. So, now, what exactly is sin? The Bible really gives us a very simple definition that says sin is transgression, which means breaking the law, which we could say is God's rules. Sin is breaking God's rules. That's the definition that the Bible gives us but we really need to think about that a little bit more to get the fullness of it, or we can get legalistically minded. The first rule, the, the true golden rule, or law, when it speaks of the law, it is talking about the Ten Commandments. But a lot of people do not understand the fullness of the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments, if just read with a general knowledge, seem like ten individual things you can't do, but they're not. There are actually ten categories of life. Jesus illustrated that. Like in the commands, it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So it gives us the worst of a type of sin in a category of sins. Jesus says, If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so the, the ten commands give us these categories of sins. Like it says, You know, thou shalt not steal. That would be one of the worst ways to act upon the sin of maybe anger with someone or greed or even coveting. So anyway, the Ten Commands. Here's why I went through all that. The first command, or really the first four commands. People describe the Ten Commandments as the New New Testament does. Two tables of stone. If you remember, when God gave the Ten Commandments, He gave it on two stone tablets. Table ets. Think of it that way. Two large pieces of stone engraved. The first stone is the commandments regarding your relationship with God. It's the first four commands. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Have no graven images to worship them or whatever. And remember the Sabbath. To keep it holy for in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth to see and all that's in them and rest on the Sabbath. So the first four is about you and God. The next six is about you and man. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. So, here's the problem. People go through life only with the six commands. They're they're mostly concerned with the six commands. 
Even when Jesus came to the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus was like, you know, keep the commands. And he said, I haven't stolen. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't ever committed adultery. He listed off all of the things that's in the six. And Jesus was like, well, that's good. But you lack something. And we do that a lot. We justify ourselves. We think that we're without sin by thinking, well, I ain't no thief. I ain't no adulterer. I ain't no murderer. But what about thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? You see, when, again, if y'all are familiar with the New Testament at all, you know several times people would ask Jesus, challenging him, what's the two great commands? And he would give those commands love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what he was really doing is. He's saying the first table of stone that has the four commandments, this is the whole heart of that. Loving God. There's, having no other God first. Taking no, you know, not taking the Lord's name in vain. And so the first tablet of stone is summed up as love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second one, that was the commandments about how you deal with other man, is summed up in this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. However, here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because if not, that is sin. That is transgressing the law. How do we even do that? Well, the Bible teaches us that, and we need to get into it. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is, we have sins, and we need to deal with those sins. We do the same thing the rich young ruler did. We justify ourselves in our minds because of how we treat other people. But what about God? You know, we are in a God relationship. We are in a relationship with God. And I think about with spouses, when you, you know, you're in a relationship with your spouse, you don't want them to neglect the small things. You know, if I'm doing something that is a, basically against Katrina's inner law, I'm transgressing her will for me and her, I'm just, I'm overlooking the little things. Maybe she don't like it if I leave the house without saying bye, let her know where I'm going. But I just do it and I just habitually do it. And she just don't say nothing to me anymore about it because she don't want to argue about it. But every time she walks out and sees, oh, well, he's already gone, it probably touches her a little bit. It probably hurts her a little bit. And so, in that sense, we're in a relationship with God. And if it's God's will, is, okay, let me back up. Let me say why I just said that. Okay, transgression of the law is the definition of sin. But when you unpack that, well, what does that mean? It's really doing anything that is not God's will for you in your life. That's really it. The, the greatest part, the first command, the heart of the law is to love God with all your heart. And if you love God with all your heart, and there's something that you know you shouldn't do because it says plainly, and then you keep doing it. Well, you couldn't. If our love for God was right, we couldn't keep doing it. We couldn't. And I've often thought, if we would even just keep that first part, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if we would just focus on that, all the rest of them would just happen. They would just all fall into place. You would get all the rest of them right. And so my point is, sin is more than just this. It's not just a checklist thing. There's, it's a heart thing. There's heart issues there. And we have to, we have to consider just as you would want your spouse to consider you or your brothers and sisters or your friends to consider you. We do have to consider these things. I got a feeling 
Well, first of all, I got a feeling that what I'm trying to say, I'm not getting said the way I want to say it. But I got a feeling that if we were as children in our conscience and heart still, there are things that we're probably living with and neglecting to do that would prick us, but we're somewhat hardened because we're all the adults here approaching 40 or over 40. And there's a little bit of hardness through the years that has crept in. Like, well, here's, here's one of my examples. Praying regularly is a teaching of the Bible. And I'm failing on that one. Now, am I saying that if I don't pray every day that I'm in sin? No, I'm not saying that. But what I will say is this. If I'm neglecting prayer because it's just not even in my heart really to do it, and my mind never really even crosses God in that sense of communicating with God or praying or... The people of the community is not on my mind enough, or the people of our church is not on my mind enough to pray for them, then I do have a problem. I do have something wrong inside. If the Spirit of God dwells in me, and I'm never touched enough by y'all's need, or I'm never touched enough by the fact that God has told us to pray, and even taught us how to pray, and then told us why to pray, and that yet I'm neglecting prayer, Maybe the neglecting it ain't sin, but there's some other sin in me, some self-interest thing in me that's causing me to be comfortable to neglect prayer. So that's a big, long explanation. But sin is so much more than what we simplify it down to sometimes. Sin is not only what you do, it's why you did what you did, and it's also why you're not doing things you ought to be doing. It's a bigger deal than what most people think about, and we really need to learn of that nature of sin. Here's something I think about often. Will I feel this or do this in heaven? If the answer is no, then whatever I'm feeling or doing is likely a sin thing. Like greed. Will there be greed in heaven? No. There will not be. Will there be pride? An unrighteous pride. There is a righteous pride. I'm proud of my wife. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of my mom. I'm proud of our church. That's not a sinful pride, but there is an unrighteous Self-centered pride. Will there be pride like that in heaven? No. That, because that kind of pride comes from a source of sin. So there's a lot of things that we don't even think about that are moved in us by the sin in us. And the teaching of today is we don't ever just say, well, it's just the way it is. Because God doesn't say that. Let's look at Adam and Eve. I'm not going to have y'all open your Bibles to any verses today, probably, because y'all already know we're not looking at any individual verses. We're looking at accounts, accounts that y'all are all familiar with. But we know that original sin, the fall of man, happened with Adam and Eve. But there's a lot of lessons about sin there. For one, it's interesting to me, in the immediate effect, when Adam sinned, what was the next thing he did? He was the first person that had ever sinned. This wasn't a learned behavior. He had never seen this happen. And he did not know what it was going to feel like in this new condition that he found himself in. And the first thing he did is the first thing all of y'all will still do, and I will still do when we know that we have sinned against God. He hid from God. That's the first thing he did. He went to the woods and hid. It says he hid himself among the trees of the garden. And... In a lot of ways, even though being built a full-grown man and all of that, he had a childlike response. But we still do the same thing. We just don't see it that way. But a lot of people will hide by, they not go to church this weekend. 
or they're not going to pray today. Or they're not going to listen to their Christmas music today. I don't, it's like they think if they do any sort of Christian-related thing that God's kind of looking at me now and He knows I've sinned here. And, and so we hide in a lot of ways. We don't go to the woods to hide anymore, but we still hide from God in whatever way we can. In a lot of ways, we're just as innocent and simple-minded as Adam because we hide from God thinking, well, if I don't think about God right now, He can't see me. If I don't think about what i just done, if I don't acknowledge it, it's like it'll go away. It's the most simplistic way to look at it, and it's very false. And you end up carrying it with you. But when, here's my point, it, this is one of those built-in punishments of sin. Adam felt shame. Adam didn't evolve, so the ability to feel shame had to be put in him by God. You see what I'm saying? He had never felt shame before, but now he has done something that he's not proud of that he done, and he don't want anybody to know that he done it. He especially don't want God to know that he done it. Well, he feels this shame. So when we look at even the psychology of sin that God put in us, shame is a punishment is my point. Sometimes this is true, but sometimes it isn't. This being the same. People will say, oh, just forgive yourself. There does come a point where you need to be able to move past. If God's forgiven you, and you've gone to your brother or whatever, and they've forgiven you, you do need to be able to forgive yourself. But we also need to remember, part of what I feel is I'm supposed to feel this. We don't, I'm not saying wallow in it, but shame is put there by God. When you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, and you're feeling effects that you wish you didn't feel, you're like, man, I wish I could just do this and enjoy it and have the liberty. I wish I could convince myself that this is right. Uh, you know, I just need to forgive myself and move on. I need to justify myself and say, oh, I'm just a sinner. That's the, honestly, that's, that's the whispers of the devil, really. It will, sin has that in it. It will lead to more and more and more sin. And so, built-in punishment, shame. You should, you should feel shame. And it also interests me that still to this day, most sin is committed in darkness. Because the darkness in the minds of man hides him from God. It hides, it conceals his sin. And so I'm talking about, you know, any, almost any kind of sin is in the darkness or in hiding. Even most lies are told in whispers. They don't want people to hear. Most gossip happens this way. You see what I'm saying? It's like when we're, when we're doing things, we don't even consciously necessarily realize it. But our very subconscious knows you're doing something that is not good. It's not right. And you're hiding it some way, shape, form, or fashion. And any time, man, I mean, th this teaching is not just about learning about sin. It's about learning how to get ourselves out of these traps of sin and notice those built-in still small voices sometimes that say, don't do that. You know, I know my kids are getting old enough now where there's, there, God is dealing with them in their hearts even when I'm 100 miles away. And they have this natural thing to, you know, before they do something wrong, I know there's some resistances there in them. So anyway, in the immediate, shame. You feel shame for sin. Also, we see immediately his sin affected the people around him. And this is something we really need to think about. There's no 
I'm not like preaching down on any specific thing today. I want y'all to just really think about it. This is, a tr this is true throughout your whole life until the day you die. This will always be true. Your sin will affect the most yourself, second most, the people you love the most. But it will affect other people. Even if it only affects them to the extent of it keeps you home and hiding. And so they're not getting to see you as often as they would. I have some family, but I know that that's part of the case. In their minds, their sin is just, it's just this is me and my life and my choice, and it's not affecting you, but that's actually not true. It is affecting me, and it is coming at a cost to me. And it's the same with me and my family. I'm just telling you, it's that way. Your sins. When you think about it, you're harming people, okay? You're harming people. No matter how big, no matter how small. Of course, the bigger the sin, the bigger the harm. But your sins have a radiant effect. With, with, we see it with Adam and Eve there. And at, at least we know. We know the Bible don't tell us every single thing that happened then, right? It sums up the entire fall of man in five verses. One of the biggest events in all of human history is five verses long. But during that short little brief insight that we get, I guarantee you Adam and Eve got into a fight that day. For the first time ever. Because she said, or he said, you know, because God's like, Adam, who told you that you was naked? Because he had immediately felt the shame and hid and all that. And he said, the woman that you gave me, she gave it to me and made me eat it. You know, that, and I'm sure Eve heard that and was like, hey, I ain't ever made you do nothing, man. You did this of your own free will. You know, I'm sure that there was a fight that happened that day. And again, we're a little bit numb. But imagine Adam. He'd never fought with Eve before. He's in a perfect world with a perfect marriage. Perfect relationship. He had never known. For the first time ever, he feels, I'm, I'm mad at her. He had never felt that before. And I can only imagine how deep something cut him that she may have said back. Because she's never talked to me like that before. Sin does that. Still, sin will come in and take a, a perfect friendship or whatever, a perfect relationship, and it'll begin to break it to pieces. And it'll make two people that love each other say hateful things to each other. And here's the thing. Again, we can say, well, that's just human nature. Couples are going to fight. And that. I mean, there is the truth to that. But do we just accept that? No. No, we should never be numb to being in an argument and we'll just go to bed and not talk about it, not resolve it. Now, I do understand if you're going to bed for the sake of, I don't want to perpetuate anything right now. Let's go to bed in peace. We'll talk about it tomorrow. But what I am saying is go to bed in peace. Don't go to bed with strife and contention still there. There is an interesting study I read one time that says anger does cause a chemical release in the body. And blood tests show that that chemical will be there up to 48 hours and during the time that chemical is in your blood you're three times more likely to get angry <laughs> which is interesting because again it's that anger perpetuating anger and all this kind of stuff my real point is just this we don't think about some of the things our daily behaviors we don't think about them as you know i wouldn't even be doing this if it wasn't for sin and me And we, we have accepted, I'm saying. We've accepted things that we don't really have to accept. 
And our lives would be better if we didn't accept it. I won't even go into that anymore. Okay, so there was a sin. The sin was actually no great sin. In reality, I mean, you tell me some of the sins you've committed in your life versus they was not supposed to eat the apple, they ate the apple. I mean, my daughters know there's stuff in the pantry, some of my white chocolate Reese's <laughs> that are mine, and y'all are not supposed to go raid the pantry, at least without asking. And sometimes they do it. That's how big this sin was. Don't eat off of that tree. And they did. But look at the effects of it. Now you could say, well, it was a direct disobeying of an, a clear commandment of God. Hey, we've got clear commandments of God too. They're just as clear. Just as clear as don't eat off of that tree is don't lie. Don't steal. Don't give. Love the Lord your God. Just as clear. So when we commit these sins, they're just as big and they affect our lives just as much. Yes, we, we, have, we now live in the, in the world that was cursed because of Adam's sin, but our sin affects us. Man, that's like my heart, the heart of my point today. The effects of sin. Our sin, your sins, affect you way more than you may realize because you may be numb to it or you may not have ever learned from it. Now, I think about if there's this timeline of human history here, just imagine a big whiteboard with a line on it. Adam being the first man, and then way down there is all of us. Sin in your life will do this. Adam had a, a sort of foreordained destination from God. Adam was given a place to live, and he was given a wife, and he was given a life path ahead of him. But his one sin, way back here, diverted literally all of humanity. Because it was so close to the origin, even though he just turned a little angle, he ate an apple. Now instead of a the trajectory of all of humanity being on this line, it's on a new sin line, basically. His choice changed his whole future. Not just his future, the future of his children. How sad do you think Adam and Eve were when they walked out into the field and seen little Abel bled to death by being stoned by his brother? I can't imagine, I know Adam would have immediately fell on his knees and said, I, I did that. I did that. My, my sins, the decisions I made, have now cost my son his life. Because if I would not have done that, this would not have been in his heart. This anger with his brother, you know, this bitterness that's arisen in his own family, I'm saying. Now, Adam, God forgive him, you know, I'm not blaming him. I, I love Adam in a lot of ways. He's, he's the father of us all, according to the flesh. And I, I feel certain that Adam's in heaven, actually. If y'all ever want to talk to me about that, I'll explain why. I, I think it's obvious. The life of Adam and Eve afterwards, they taught their children to sacrifice to the Lord. They taught them to pray. It's there. In fact, why did Cain even kill Abel? Because Abel offered a better sacrifice unto God. Abel is in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, which tells me Adam and Eve learned their lesson from their sin. They taught their children what to do and what not to do. But I know that when Adam seen Abel dead, it crushed him, and he knew in the end it was because of him. And so what I'm saying is the further we get to the source of people, the greater the effect we can see that their sin had on all people that would come after them. 
Okay? But if we could see our futures, which we can't, but if we could see the future of our children and our grandchildren, I promise you, there is decisions that you have made or are yet to make that is going to affect people you haven't even met. I mean, like I said, we don't want to sit back and just focus on this stuff. But sometimes, you know, sin can drive a person out of a community or something because they're so ashamed of themselves or something they've done. They end up living in another town, and so now they're raising their children in another town, and so their children went from one school system to another school system and ended up meeting another person. And now all of a sudden, you know... Your daughter is 27 years old and she's married to somebody you can't stand. And in a lot of ways, you could rewind it back and be like, you know, we would never have been in this stinking town if I didn't do what I'd done back then that caused me to run away from the people that I love and live over here and all this kind of stuff. I'm saying sin has long-term effects. Long-term negative effects, it really does. So much so that my point will be made over and over. We don't need to neglect paying attention to the sin in our life that we may have. Okay? We don't need to neglect it. I've already been talking 40 minutes. I ain't got the Eve, Abraham, Sarah, David, and Bathsheba I got on here. All I talked about was Adam. I mean, really. Look, this is all my notes. I made it in here on first page. So... Oh, me. Well, I can't go through it all. That's obvious now. Well, I, okay, let me do this in real quick. We can see all this same stuff. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel again. Same thing happened with Abraham and Sarah. Same thing. Abraham and Sarah had this great marriage that ended up being, oh, there's, now there's all kinds of trouble because of the deal between him and Hagar, which actually Sarah's the one that convinced him to do. And then as soon as he does it, now she despises Hagar. And then she starts blaming Abraham and she says, my sin be upon you. And they get into a big fight and Abraham says, look, it's in your hands, you deal with it. And then the radiant effect of sin is someone who was actually innocent in it, Hagar, is now kicked out. She's calling out to the Lord. She put her little baby over there, you know, afraid he was going to die. All kinds of stuff. And then here's the other thing too. What about the long-term effects of Abraham's sin? Ishmael is the father of the whole Muslim nation. Did y'all know that? In fact, if you look at the Islamic faith, they go all the way back to Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn son. And they say, no, it was Ishmael was supposed to be the promise, not Isaac. And they say, oh, your Bible is wrong on all this kind of stuff. And so how much of a long-term effect did Abraham's sin have? It launched what we now call the thousand-year holy war. Which is, honestly, at the end of the day, a big family dispute. Because Ishmael is Abraham's firstborn son. However, God did not choose him to be in the line of Christ. And the Bible did say, 3,400 years ago, Of Ishmael I will make of him a great nation, and he shall bear twelve princes. And that became what we know of as most of the Middle Eastern places. Because Ishmael was Egyptian. I mean, y'all may not know all this stuff, but the history of the descendants of these two people, Isaac and Ishmael, is amazing. But here's the thing. No, it's no knock to Ishmael, but Abraham's decision cost tremendously 
not just his immediate, but it costs the world. Just like Adam, like, that's why I was saying, the further back we go, the greater we can see the long-term effects of sin. We can see Adam's sin affected everyone ever born after him because he was the first. Well, Abraham's sin affected everyone in his family after him because he, he was the patriarch of the family. Well, it's still the same for us. It's just we're way on down the line, so we may not be affecting the, whole, affecting the whole world, but we are affecting our family and everybody that comes after us with the decisions that we make. Let me say this, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be careful because this is not anything to do with anybody here. It's just something that I think about. And I'm thankful for all the decisions that everybody here has made. But even, and like I said, I really am being careful because I love James and Nega, honestly, with all my heart. So this has nothing to do with y'all, really. But that decision that y'all made to pull them out of school was the greatest decision I think that y'all could have made for your daughters other than teaching them about Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying is sometimes the decisions, they don't, they're not immediately apparent to us the weight of the decision. But sin can affect why we do or don't do something. The decision to public school or not public school is not a sinful decision. However, all of the factors that might weigh into that decision are sin factors. Y'all see what I'm saying? Am I making that clear? Like, what I'm getting at is I know of good people who right now are debating on whether or not to take their children out of public school because they see the true negative effect that it's having. They see it. So they've acknowledged it. They know it. They've picked up on it. They're aware of it. But because of the inconvenience, they don't take them out. Now listen, like I said, public school is not a sin. And if, if people don't feel that it's harming their children at all, well then you can't blame them for not taking them out because they haven't seen it yet. But for those that have seen it and they're still saying... We're just going to send them off anyway. You have to say, there's something in that parent that needs to be pricked and worked on. There's something where they need to say, we should never accept, as I have heard other people say, sacrificing our children to the public school system for our own convenience or for our own financial gain or whatever the case may be. So, our decisions in that sense affect our family. And even though the decision that we're making in and of itself is not a sinful decision, all of the stuff that we're using to weigh out what to do may be some sinful things, some things we cling to that we shouldn't cling to, or some things we have pleasure in that we shouldn't have pleasure in. But when we go to make this decision over here, it's like we just we don't we don't even realize that sin is, is, having a, is carrying some weight in how I'm weighing out, where I should live, where I should go to church, where I should work, and yet it is there. And so if we would go home and repent, in a sense, and pray to God, Lord, show me my sins, even my smallest of sins, because death by a thousand cuts is still death. So even the littlest things, Lord, show me. And let me get them out of my life as best I can help me. Give me the strength to do that. Give me the will to want to get that out of my life. And if you do, people's probably going to laugh at you. You're probably going to have to go to bed saying, I'm sorry, honey, it's my fault. Even when you wanted to say a whole lot more than that. And you're going to have to say it and make it believable. In other words, you're probably going to be 
somewhat neglected, even stepped on at times because people may feel like they can do that to you. But I would honestly rather be stepped on by someone who thinks that I'm weak but be right with God as best I possibly can. I would, in other words, I would rather humble myself to the point of suffering if that meant that my heart is clean with the Lord. Rather than win the argument and maybe even be, you know, the hero in other people's eyes. But it came at a cost to myself where I'm somewhat numbed to God, out of relationship with God. And so, I'm sorry, I, you know, I apparently prepared way too much today, so I'm going to quit. But my main point is, and for the young ones, Raina, Phoenix especially, Tamara, the ones that's old enough to understand most of what I've said, when y'all are in your own time and mom and dad ain't watching, God still watches. And sins still have the same effect whether people know you're doing it or not. My sins, whether anybody knows I'm doing them or not, are still affecting the people. And so it really, 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 really matters. We really, 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 really need to be cautious, be led by the Word of God in our life, and don't ever take something that you know is a sin and just be like, yeah, well, it's not that big a deal. Because... In your judgment, your, your, your numbed judgment, it may not be a big deal. But in the judgment of God and people who can see plainly the, the effect of what you're doing, it's a huge deal. And so we want to be careful with that. Last thing, I just want to make sure I say this. Leprosy in the Bible is used as a picture of sin. All throughout the Old Testament, it's illustration of sin. And leprosy is a terrible, ugly disease. It kills, it's incurable. It kills everyone that has it. It destroys their face. I mean, they end up getting lumps and bumps and warts and stuff all over their face, all over their hands. Their fingers dissolve away and fall away until all they have is nothing but nubs. It, it makes them immobile. It's one of the, to look at, you know, you feel terrible for the people, but to look at, it's one of the most atrocious diseases that can ever affect a human body. And in the Bible, it's the leprosy is an illustration of sin. What sin is doing to your soul leprosy does to your body so that you can see it now and leprosy was contagious so when there was a leper in Israel they were supposed to live outside of the camp you weren't supposed to have anything to do with them in the spiritual picture it's get the sinners out you know what I mean don't be, don't be befriending uh, people now everyone is a sinner but I'm saying people who are partaking in sins drugs whatever that kind of stuff that's going to negatively affect you Separate yourself from that. However, Jesus healed lepers. And all of the damage, all of the scars, all of the loss was gone away. And they were just as pretty as they ever would have been if they'd never had leprosy. It, it, it went in the Gospel of Mark. Mark apparently, it stood out to him so much that Jesus actually touched. You are not supposed to touch a leper. Because if you touch a leper, you're going to get leprosy. And Jesus reached out and touched the leper so much that it must have stood out to Mark. Because Mark is the only one that says it, but he said it. And Jesus touched the leper, touched him, and said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. It says immediately his leprosy was gone. I love that. 
I love that the Bible says what the canker worm hath eaten, God can restore. So what sin has done to our lives, it's not permanently lost. But if and only if, you do what God says is the remedy. And live for the Lord. We're saved by faith. That's right. And we're healed by faith. And we live for the Lord by faith. But living for the Lord, what I'm saying is, try to live right. Repent of the sins that you have. Pray through those things is how God begins to restore broken hearts and broken homes and broken bodies and all those kinds of things. There are acts of faithfulness. So, I know I rambled on forever and it was really just to be a reminder. Let's flee from sin. All types of sin. Let's be afraid of it, really. Because it destroys homes and families.